Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Dustin, and I get to serve as the pastor here, and I'm um, excited. I'm excited you're here. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can begin turning to 1 Corinthians. Um, we are uh, love our Bibles here, or I hope you do. If not, I hope you uh, get, start learning to love your Bible. Um, but uh, it will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I'm excited about uh, what it says in there. And um, as you flip there, I did just want to uh, just kind of give you a um, encouragement, if I could, before we get started, is um, if you've been coming to church for a little while or you uh, have um, kind of been on the maybe the fringes or you've come and been on and off and um, you've never jumped in, um, my encouragement to you is we never want you to to jump in for us, right? We don't, we don't ask people to serve at our church because we need more people to serve. We don't ask you to get into a small group because we uh, want our numbers in small groups to go up. We ask you to do those things because we believe that it's for your good. Does that make sense? We, don't, we never want something from you. We want something for you, and we mean that. And the reason we want you to serve is because we believe uh, that helps you grow into who Christ was, um, and who Christ wants you to be. We want you to be in a small group so you can experience what true community is and true accountability and true encouragement to have people to do life with. And so if you're interested in either one of those, um, we, we would love for you to have you do that. And you can actually, uh, there's a little kiosk, little iPad out in the atrium that you can stop after the service. People can know, not know, doesn't matter. But um, if there's one step before you join our church, before you do anything, we want those things for you. Um, whatever capacity that is. And so um, please know that. And so uh, I'm excited you're here. Like I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 19. Um, I'm uh, super excited about this. I think this passage is very relatable to us and our culture today. And so um, I'm going to read uh, the whole passage, actually, um, and then we're going to pray and we'll jump into uh, what I feel like the, the application is for us today. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, it says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So let me pause and give you some context so you understand what's going on. So just like last week, if you were here last week, Paul wrote the book of Corinthians to the church in Corinth, right? So the, the Bible can seem very confusing if you're not familiar with it, but really all they do in most of Paul's letters, he's, he plants a church in a town, he leaves to plant other churches, and what happens is he hears things going on, so he leaves and he writes a letter back to that church that he planted to help them, right, purely to help them as a church. And so uh, this is the, 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 the letter to the Corinthians is the letter to the church in Corinth, and I told y'all last week the church in Corinth was probably the craziest one. They had, um, I said this last week, but they literally had uh, prostitutes hanging out outside the doors of the church. They had, uh, they had tons of people in the church that were much more concerned about um, who they were in elevating themselves than they were submitting to Christ and elevating the name of Christ. They had uh, tons of huge issues. And like I said last week, again, the reason Paul writes this stuff in here is because they weren't doing it. So the analogy I always use is the reason we have speed limits is because people drive too fast. So the reason Paul writes this is not because they weren't struggling with it. If they weren't, if they weren't struggling with it, he wouldn't address the issue. The reason he addresses it is because it wasn't happening. And so um, so Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, meaning uh, no one owns him because Christ set him free on the cross, I've made myself a slave to everyone, 
Now, the better translation most people would say in the Bible would be servant, not necessarily slave, but in the Greek, it means the same. Um, So I made myself a servant to everyone. Why does he serve people? What's his motive? Why Why did Jesus serve people? Why should we serve people? To win as many as possible. Verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Let me summarize this for you, what he's getting at. His main point here is, in this times, and I'll relate it to how it is for us, but in this times, um, Christians oftentimes wouldn't share meals with Jews because they had different eating habits. So if you don't know much, Jewish culture, they don't eat pork. It was just a big deal. It was one of the, the laws, you can read it in Leviticus, they didn't eat certain things. So what happened is the Christians would not invite them to their house because they wanted to eat pork. And what Paul says is, is basically that selfish, just eat a meal that doesn't have pork in it and invite them over and eat dinner with them. Does that make sense? So what that means for us and what I think the last verse gets at when I read it here in a second is in our culture, it would make sense for us to put our selfish desires, our selfish wants aside and with our motive being to lead people to Christ, serve people and do things with people with the goal of winning them to Jesus. And you're like, hey, that's kind of deceitful. Well, it's the best deceiving thing you could ever do, right? I mean, think about it. You're literally gonna change their eternity and they may not even know it. And what's cool is when they find out and they get saved and they come to Christ and they're all in for Christ, they look back and say, man, this person was pouring into me years before I even realized it. The only reason they came to my, friend, my, my son's game, my son's game on Tuesday night was so they could love me and show me the love of Christ. The only reason they went to dinner with me on a Friday night was to keep me from doing something I didn't need to do on a Friday night and get me around people who actually loved me, right? And you start looking back at these things and you're like, man, these people sacrificed for me. They loved me. And I think that's what Paul's getting at is we put aside what we want. We put aside what we think is right. And if I'm honest, a lot of the times, the reason I think we don't do this as a church is because we're more scared about what people think about us than we are excited about our friends meeting Jesus. And so we don't do these things because we think society and culture will look at us as a weirdo or a radical or uh, somebody who's uh, not in touch with the world. And so we don't do it because we're more worried about our appearance to people than we are serving God, which Jesus had a lot to say about. So let's read the last two verses and I'll pray and we'll move on. Verse 22, it says, to the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. So what does he say? He sums it up right here. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Pause. That means that yes, You may spend your life sacrificing for a brother or sister or for a friend or um, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, I don't really believe in missional dating. That means dating somebody that's not saved. But um, I think you, you do things for people so that they might get saved. And what that also means is that there's a chance you sacrifice for somebody and they never get saved. 
Now, this is where it gets complicated because then it kind of reveals your true motive. If you get mad at them, you really didn't love them. You just wanted it for your selfish gain to say, I made a disciple. But if you show them the unconditional love of Christ, you don't really matter. You're just doing it for Christ. And that motivation never runs out of us. That cup never quits flowing when we have that cup. So verse 23, it says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings, meaning the gospel is so important to me, I want other people to share in it. I want other people to know Christ. And the overarching theme I was thinking about, honestly, that was hitting me while I was worshiping is we're not gonna care for our friends and family to, to know Christ or we're not gonna expect, we can't expect them to cherish Jesus and what he did on the cross until we ourselves cherish Jesus. We're not ever gonna care about our community hearing the gospel, living out the gospel, and changing the culture of our community until we believe it and we do it ourselves. And I think when that becomes our hearts, that will naturally overflow into others, but there will never be an overflow if it's not really truly our hearts. It's just gonna be more actions, empty actions that we do on Sundays. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. So let's pray, and I have a couple things I wanna talk through. God, um, thank you for who you are, Lord, and thank you for your word and uh, displaying yourself to us and showing us who we are and what we can learn about you and what we need to do. God, uh, just pray that uh, your word would be living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and it would pierce us to the depths of our hearts this morning. God, that these words wouldn't be mine, but they would be yours. Lord, I have no ability to change hearts, but you do, and I pray that that's what you do this morning. So God, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, how many of you uh, like going to Walmart? <laughs> I expected no. Oh, some of y'all do like it. Okay. How many of y'all go to Walmart? Big different question, right? Okay. That's what I thought. Everybody goes, nobody enjoys it, right? So, uh, I was thinking, and this is, I just had an encounter in Walmart a couple months ago that I was thinking about that I think really relates to this, but um, one of the things that happened to me in Walmart is, how many of you, when you go to Walmart, you go get your stuff and you go to the self-checkout? Okay. A few of you? Okay. So, I always go to self-checkout, honestly, because I'm prideful, which is not good. I'm not celebrating that, but because I think I can do it better and faster than the cashier right? Either that, or I think the person in front of me, their debit card is not going to work, and I'm going to be stuck in line for 40 minutes, you know? And I'm like, well, I can wait for like seven of them, and then I can have more choices. And so anyway, so I'm weird, I know. So I think about it, and uh, so I'm, I'm in the self-checkout line, and I'm actually waiting. Um, and obviously, self-checkout means you do it yourself. So um, I'm watching this lady, and she starts getting kind of upset at the machine, so she's sitting here, and she's checking out her stuff, and all of a sudden, you, I don't know if you know this, but I'll give you a good hint when you're in Walmart so you can check out faster. When the scanner has a little light around it, when it's red, that means you can't scan an item. When it's green, guess what? <laughs> it means you can scan an item. Well, this lady's scanner was red, and she's trying to run it across, and I think there's a message up about the weight. You know, if you don't put it in the thing, and it can weigh it, and then take it off before you scan an item, it thinks you're stealing, so it doesn't work. Well, it's red, and this lady's trying to scan it. She starts getting mad, and well, then she starts hitting buttons, and she's like, this machine is not working, and she's like verbally getting upset about it at this self-checkout machine, and eventually, she starts looking around at people behind her in line. She's like, will you help me? And she starts acting, asking this other lady to help her. And I, I'm thinking, okay, whatever. 
maybe she'll help you. Well, this lady is on her own time, you know, so she's just like the rest of us. She's like, I think you can press this button. And she comes over there and she tries to press the button and it doesn't work. So she's like, I'm sorry, that's all I know to do. So she turns around and walks away and she starts looking in Walmart and she's like, are there no workers around here? And she's like, I'm telling y'all, screaming in self-checkout. I'm not exaggerating. Are there any workers around here? And then she starts getting mad at the, they have the, the scanning gold people, you know, next to it up at the belts. And then it's another good little ways after that before you have the actual cashiers. And she's like, can I get a cashier over here? And she's like screaming, I mean, cussing about every 12 words, like uh, visibly, verbally upset. Well, the whole time I'm sitting in line and I'm literally thinking, ma'am, do you realize you're asking for help and you are in the self-checkout line? I mean, if there's not anything more clear than what Walmart posted, then if you can't do it yourself, guess what? Don't go to self-checkout. You know, and I'm like, this lady's getting so upset at the, the Walmart and the employees when she herself chose to walk in self-checkout. Okay, so y'all get the point. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm, well, I'm not laughing at her, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is good. You know when you, stuff's happening and you just want to be like, is this real? Is this really happening right now? And I'm like, golly. Anyway, so I tell you that story, not pointless, because um, I think there's a, a reason why I uh, thought about it. But the way I want to relate that back, I think, is very important. But how often in our lives do we want to do stuff on our own, and then when it doesn't work out, we call on other people, okay? God in general, right? We want to do stuff on our own, and then we decide that, okay, that's not working, so let me ask God to help me, you know, or uh, you live life how you want to live it for the, for the first few years, and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, things don't go your way, so what do you do? You ask God to help you, as if God did, you didn't need God's help the first few years, you know, and so we basically do this. Well, I think it's the same way with reaching people with the mission of God. I think what happens is... We're not consistent. We pick and choose in times in our life where we want to leverage our life to reach people. And so what happens is, is maybe we get excited about Jesus for a season or maybe a couple days or um, there's a, a, a maybe Sunday morning we think that's a good time to reach people because maybe they'll come to church or um, maybe you got excited and on a, an emotional high, I wouldn't even say spiritual high, but an emotional high back in high school and you wanted your friends to know about Jesus then, or maybe when you got baptized when you were eight and you had these little moments in your life where you wanted to, uh, people to meet Jesus, but there was never a consistent time in your life where you leveraged everything you do and everything you are for Christ and his kingdom. And when I think about that, I think about how easy it is to be like that person in self-checkout where we are, okay, I'll do it myself and I'll live how I want to live, but then we call God or uh, somebody does something to you or all of a sudden your friend gets put in jail or um, something doesn't go well in your friend's marriage and then you want to call God to help you. And what I would say is, is honestly, God doesn't work like that. It doesn't, we don't, I hear this all the time and it's a big idea, but it's, it's not true is Listen, God's doing probably 20,000 things in our life right now, and we might know three of them. Like God's working everywhere. God, there's a spiritual realm where millions of things are going on, and we think that like this itty-bitty thing that's happening in our life, God can't control, or, or we, don't, we don't reach out to God about. 
And I think that's just how we treat God, but it's how we treat reaching people too. And so the first thing I want to say, the first point I think we see in this, and I want to read a couple more verses about it, is Paul's life always revolved around the mission. Now, let me be clear. When I say the mission, what do I mean? The mission meaning to make disciples of all nations. That's kind of the mission. You see it in Mark 16. You see it in Matthew 28, Acts 1-8. Therefore, you have received power. And he says, go to uh, Samaria or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he gives them this this thing. And you see it throughout the Old Testament. He says, uh, go to all nations and give my glory to all nations. And so you see this all over the place. But Paul always leveraged his life. He didn't walk into situations where he said, I'm going to do it myself, and then I'll call on God if it doesn't work. No, God was con- or Paul was consistently concerned about the mission of God. And I think for us, what happens is, is we don't always think about it that way. We, we honestly think about this. I always use this analogy or think about it this way. Think about your, your dresser or your uh, chest of drawers. People always say Chester drawers, like it's C-H-E-S-T-E-R. Drawers, y'all know what I'm talking about, and it's really chest of drawers, and I'm like, y'all, golly. It's kind of like, kind of like, kind of, and people say K-I-N-D-O-F, and all right, I'm just giving y'all a good grammar lesson to help you so people don't think you're not smart, okay? It's kind have, like kind of apostrophe V-E. Anyways, okay, so uh, you have a chest of drawers, and I don't even know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. So, you have, a, you have a, a chest of drawers, and you have different drawers, right? You have four or five of them probably on there. And what happens is, is we try to label different things in our life. So you have uh, maybe God's the first drawer because you think he's on top. And then secondly, you have um, in the second drawer, you have uh, your wife. And third drawer, you have your kids. And then you have your job. And then you have uh, sports. And then you have your hobbies. And we label out everything, and we think God just fits in one. Well, in reality, what, what really should happen, how the gospel should work in our life is God is in in all of those drawers, right? We don't pull God out of how we treat our wife. We don't pull God out of our hobbies. We don't pull God out of our marriage. We don't pull God out of our job. What happens is, is God literally fills up all of the parts of our life. You can do the same thing with days. You think Sunday's God's day, Monday is work day, Tuesday is work day, you know, and you label them down and really, no. God should be in all those, right? He should be filling every single one of them. But what happens is, is once again, we pick and choose when we want to put God in things. And what I'm here to tell you is I don't think um, necessarily that the best evangelism method for you to use or for you to try to reach out to people um, in your life is for you to uh, okay, on Sunday nights, I'm going to walk around my neighborhood and go door to door and knock on doors and try to share the gospel with people or try to invite them to church. And that's, that becomes your method, you know? It's like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Listen, most, most of your lives are pretty full. Wouldn't you agree? Your, your lives are full. You don't feel like you can have a time, like a block of a day to set apart. The reason you don't have time for that is because God didn't design it that way. What God designed you to do is to put the mission of God in everything you already do. And so when you go to work, you take the mission of God with you to work. Meaning, the way you work, you want to display God. That's hard sometimes. I get it. You don't like work, but when you work excellently, it glorifies God and people see that. And then when people see that, they ask questions and you build relationships and you're strategic for the mission of God so you can win that person. One of my favorite pastors says it this way. And I think this is really a, a really good 
idea, but he says, do everything you do excellently for the glory of God, meaning you do it really well because that honors God, and do everything you do strategically for the mission of God, meaning everything you do in life, you do it with a strategy to win people to Christ. That's what Paul did. That's why he literally says, in everything I do, I just become a servant to all so that some might get saved. He says, I just want to lay my life down so that some people will get saved. Read verse 19 with me again. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Think about this. Think about your boss. What if God doesn't have you in your job to make you happy and make you money? What if God has you there because your boss doesn't know Jesus and he strategically placed you there so that you can lead your boss to Christ? What a different perspective. What if God didn't give you a spouse or kids so that they could get on your nerves and you could fight and you could uh, do things that don't honor God? What if God gave them to you so that you could serve them in a way that displays how Christ served us? Change of perspective. And listen, I don't do this perfectly. My wife and I, we have a, a, a five-month-old, and, and I tell you, there was a time there when, probably about a month in, where we started struggling. We have an older uh, kid that we adopted that um, is a teenager, so he kind of can function his, on his own. We don't have to make him bottles, fortunately. Um, but our little one, it caused some, some tension in us, you know? It was, became a competition of, well, I did this, so you do this, or I took him yesterday morning, so you take him this morning, or I picked him up, you picked him up, and it, it becomes hard. And our marriage got stressful, not to the point where we were about to walk out on each other because when we uh, said, till death do us part, we try to mean it. We didn't make that covenant for no reason, but it became hard. And, and our house was stressful and we're sitting there and, and she's blowing up at me and I'm wanting to blow up at her. I might've blown up at her first and then she wants to blow up at me, you know, or however it works. And we, we, we just are at each other's throat the whole time. And I just started feeling this tension. And I'm like, what are we going to do? Either I can show up today. And I remember it was a Thursday. And I remember sitting down, reading my Bible that morning, spending time with God. And I remember thinking, I can either try to one-up her more. Or I can call, get a babysitter, take her on a date, and try to talk to her about it and be honest and say, look, if there's anything I've done, please tell me. You have open time to speak into my life and tell me what I'm doing wrong so that we can do this together and this can be an enjoyable season of our life. And listen, please don't hear me say I'm putting myself on a pedestal. I'm just using that example because it's what I've been through recently. And so what happened is we went to the date. I said, look, and I think this is just good marriage counseling in general, but most guys I hear say, you know, she just won't talk to me or, 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 uh, she, 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 I try to talk to her and she won't talk to me about this. And really what happens is we've led our wives in such a way, wives, in such a way that they don't feel comfortable or open to talk to us. They're scared because they think we're going to go off on them. And I know that when I get that way in my house, like it changes the whole, the whole feeling of the house. Like men we set the spiritual thermostat in our house. If you don't, if, if, if Pete, you're at each other's throat and your house is hard and you don't get along with your wife, men, we can't look anywhere else but the mirror to start. And then we change the culture, we change the temperature, and then it adapts to us almost every time. Almost every single time. That's why God set up the way he did. 
But I think that's the same exact way that happens in our life with other people is so often I hear this all the time and I, I don't know, it doesn't frustrate me much anymore because I get the heart behind it, but people always say, I'll just live like Christ in front of them and then maybe they'll, they'll see him. Y'all, Romans 10, 9 is as clear as it can be. It says, faith comes through hearing the word of God. That means at some point we have to speak it to other people. Like, that means that it's going to be awkward. There's going to be awkward conversations had when you want to make disciples. Is it worth it? You have to ask yourself that. Is my friend coming to know Christ worth an awkward conversation? Worth an honest conversation? Because until we get to the point where we're ready to get past that, we're going to just keep sulking and doing the same things over and over and over. Second thing I want to talk about that I think is um, important in this passage um, is kind of theological, but it leads into our uh, applicable life is um, Paul understood his freedom in Christ. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Think about this. I don't think many people understand this. When you put faith in Christ, when somebody looks at the cross and, and they realize that they no longer have to live for people, they no longer have to live for the world, they no longer have to live for their parents, they no longer have to live for their spouse, they no longer have to live for anything but Christ, it truly sets you free. Most people see Jesus in our culture as um, he puts chains on me, he chains down my Friday nights, he chains down what I can do on at work, or he chains down my words and how I can talk, and we See, Jesus is literally binding us up with chains. What you don't realize is the reason you do all that 99% of the time is for people. You do that to impress people or your reputation or so people will like you. So really, you're you're not free as you are. You're a slave to people and your reputation and to what people think about you. And so really what's chaining you down is not Jesus. What's chaining you down is what people think about you and your reputation. And when you realize what Jesus did for you and that nobody, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. What matters is have you put faith in Christ and are you living for God? Because when you live for an audience of one, you're truly set free from the thousands of people around you that you think you have to impress. And so what happens is you get set free from the world. Now what Paul says is when you understand that freedom, you don't leverage that freedom in Christ to do whatever you want. You leverage that freedom to now be a servant to other people so that you can win them for Christ, right? We say it this way a lot of times. God didn't save you from something. He saved you for something. There's a bigger reason God plucked you from uh, the, 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 the fire in hell and put you in his kingdom and brought you from the kingdom of darkness to light. There's a reason for that. It's not empty. It's not just so that you can celebrate and say, I'm not going to hell, thank God. No, he wants you to spread his glory because he's deserving of it. I was thinking about this and and... And one of the things that happened last year, so uh, my older son that we adopted, um, he was a junior in high school last year. He wrestles. He loves to wrestle. Um, and I've had to learn to like wrestling. Growing up, I was just like a, I just played football, basketball, and baseball, and I thought wrestlers were weird. So um, anyways, I just thought I had to learn wrestling. You know, I, I was going to have to go, so I better learn it. So I started learning wrestling. Well, one of the things I learned in wrestling is that when you get that many people touching and that many people on a mat, like diseases and funguses and stuff are everywhere, you know, and so people just get, it's just nasty, I don't know, anyway, so, uh, so one day, Cruz came home, my son, and he had a, a little thing on his neck, um, and it ended up being ringworm, and so I'm like, great, 
now I'm going to get ringworm, my wife's going to get ringworm, like, we're just ringworm people, you know, what, whatever that is, we're, I don't know if it's deadly or not, I don't know, anyway, so he gets ringworm on his neck, so we're, uh, we're, we're sitting around and uh, we're talking about how he's going to wrestle, so um, it, the way wrestling works is if you don't wrestle in area, you can't wrestle in sectionals, and if you don't wrestle in sectionals, you can't wrestle in state, so that area time is really important. Well, he had area coming up, and he has ringworm. Well, you can't wrestle with ringworm because it's highly contagious, and so uh, he had to get it, get it, uh, start getting it Golly, what's the medical word I'm looking for? Treated. Okay, so he has to get it treated so that he can wrestle. So he, uh, we, we call one of our doctors, and we go to the doctor, and he's like, okay, we got to get him treated. And so um, we're really worried because we don't know how it's going to work out. Well, the Friday before, he didn't tell me about it until Thursday. You had to be treating it for three days. Well, we had been treating it, just not with doctors. So we weren't doing anything illegal, but we had to get a piece of paper with a, a, a written signature from a doctor that says it's been treated for three days so he can wrestle, you know. And so we're really nervous and um, honestly not knowing what's going to happen when he gets in front of the referees and thinking uh, if he's going to be able to wrestle or not. But um, So a way I want you to see this is Cruz is now, by the rules of wrestling, he cannot wrestle. He's chained down by the rules of wrestling. He hasn't been set free because he's not free until he can go wrestle. And so he walks up to the referee. He literally says there's a piece of, uh, the referee sees it on his neck, and he wasn't going to show him the form at first. And so he goes back. He gets the form, and literally because of a piece of paper, he shows it to the referee, and the referee says, you're free to wrestle, right? Here's the deal. That is literally a picture of the gospel. We, as humans, are under sin, right? We're born into sin. We are disqualified from uh, Jesus. We're disqualified from God because he's holy. We're unholy. He's perfect. We're not perfect. There's a huge separation, and we need somehow a way to get to God so that we can glorify him and spread his glory. Here's the deal. In the same way that that piece of paper simply said, Cruz, you can wrestle in a moment, he was justified, meaning he is made right with the judge the referee, so that he can now wrestle. That's what Christ did on the cross for us. Now, here's the deal. Cruz didn't get that piece of paper, and the referee said, you're free to wrestle, and turn around and walk out the door and not show up to his first match. That's not what he did. What did he do? He got free to wrestle, so he walked into the wrestling match, got on the mat, and started wrestling, started fighting, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what they do, right? They wrestle. So, what I want you to see as Christians is often what happens is we get the piece of paper, we get the freedom in Christ, but with that freedom, we don't walk to the wrestling match. We literally get the freedom, we understand it, and we say, hallelujah, I'm free, I don't know from what, or I'm not going to hell, and we turn away and we don't care about living our lives for Christ or the kingdom. That makes as much sense if you say you're a believer and you don't care about the battle that we're in to bring God's glory to earth and so that people don't go to hell, we can save our friends by the love that Christ showed us on the cross. If you're a believer and you don't care about that, it's the same thing as Cruz going through all that to get his ringworm taken care of and then not going to wrestle. It's the same exact thing. We were made right by the cross. We are justified by the cross, but not for no reason. He didn't say, I'm just gonna come love you and save you so that you can just celebrate on earth. No, that's what heaven's for. We're left with the duty, with the job here on earth, with the battle left. And we get the privilege of being the vessels that he uses to do that. We're not saved 
from something. We're saved for something. We're saved for a greater purpose. The third thing I want you to understand, I think this is kind of what I've been getting at the whole time, is Paul literally leveraged everything. He leveraged his whole life. And I want to be very practical. I actually um, called some of our friends the last disciple, I would say, that my wife and I got to be a part of making. And I asked them if I could use kind of their story or what we got to be a part of in making uh, that disciple, if I could use it. So I'm going to share it with you because I think it helps making disciples or reaching people a lot more uh, applicable, right? I think I can use a great illustration. And honestly, church, you can be set free and we can come and freely worship and we can say, man, I just want to make disciples. And most of you are going to say what? How? And so I want to just give you a picture of probably about the past year of what happened with this um, couple. And so um, I'm not going to use their names, but they started coming to church. They uh, came to church on a Sunday. And just to give you a pre-heads up, the husband was saved. The husband knew the Lord. He wanted to take his wife to church. The woman didn't care to go to church. She didn't care about Jesus. She just went because her husband wanted her to. Um, uh, uh, she was very um, strong-headed, very opinionated, very um, just, I mean, honestly, sometimes you just wasn't loving to be around her. <laughs> that, is that a good uh, diplomatic way to say that? I don't know. She wasn't fun to be around necessarily. So um, anyway, so they start coming to small group. They knew a couple in our small group. A couple saw them at church, so they started inviting them to small group where they start coming. Um, this was probably, I think, last July. And so they start coming to our small group. Well, in small group, it got hard because um, she would, I don't know, she would come and she was just kind of hard-hearted, you know? She just didn't care much, and she didn't want to share because she thought people were going to talk about her behind her back, and she was uh, worried about what people were going to think about her if, if she acted one way on Friday night and showed up to group on Tuesday night, that kind of deal that everybody deals with. Um, but Rachel and I knew that she wasn't saved and that the husband was struggling. And so we spent a year hanging out with him. When I say hanging out, we would, um, on Thursday night, if we were going out to eat, the first thing we did, the first people we thought about was calling them to hang out. Listen, I'll be honest. Every second of hanging out with them was not just glorious, fun, let's just go hang out and have fun, you know? It wasn't like that. Like, we would literally pray on the way there. Like, God, just give us some encouragement. God, give us uh, some motivation to just love them and hang out with them. And so we start hanging out with them. I can remember we probably went to Shoney's Buffet with them on Thursday night. I don't know, probably 10 times. I really don't know. We, we both like Shoney's Buffet, so we found a, a mutual. We became Shoney's Buffet to them, right? Like Paul says, become all things. Well, we chose Shoney's. So we started going out to eat with them. We uh, would hang out with them for uh, football games, the stuff that we did, the stuff they wanted to do. We would hang out with them. Well, as we thought things would get better and as we thought things would progressed, they actually got worse. The husband started loving Jesus more. He was fired up. Well, he wanted her to be fired up, so he would try to sit down and read the Bible with her and say, hey, babe, like, let's get together and read the Bible. Well, you know what happened with her? She got mad about it and said, you're throwing the Bible in my face. Like, you just want me to be this perfect person. And so it got worse. It started struggling worse. And then she got more, not where she didn't want to come to group. Well, finally, she started coming back to small group. And we were still hanging out with them during this whole time. Y'all, I can't tell you how many times when, probably two months ago, when I first started coming over here, I would spend talking to the husband 
the whole hour from Vidalia to Dublin, the whole time trying to talk him off the edge of being done with his wife. Not because he didn't love her, but just because things were that, it was that much tension. They just, it wasn't working. And all I had to say to him, man, is as a friend, as a brother in Christ, Paul actually strictly talks about that instance is what do you do when one of your spouse loves Jesus and the other one doesn't, when one's saved and one isn't. And he says, love them and serve them and show them the love of Christ. That's all I could encourage him to do. And so fast forward, um, we end up having to kind of disperse our small group in Vidalia, which I was worried about because I wanted them to uh, grow and I was worried about it. But I said, look, I gave them to another small group and kind of gave them a heads up, you know, this is where they are. And um, we kept hanging out with them. We've hung out with them since. But um, she goes to a small group and she gets around a new group of women that she hasn't developed this atmosphere of, I'm just going to say everything's good, but it's really not good as we all struggle with. Um, and she got around some women that were real and told them their struggles and they talked about their marriage struggles. And she broke down and started telling them their struggles and how she felt. And they started telling testimonies one day and she started talking about her testimony, realized she didn't really have a time in her life where things changed and she really made a turn for Christ. And um, so things, things started asking her. And she finally, after a church service about three weeks ago, um, her and her husband, that they felt like anytime they hung out was forced, they uh, went to Sonic and Vidalia and sat down for about four hours after uh, this church service. And she asked her husband and said, I just wonder sometimes if I'm really saved. And it hit her like a ton of bricks. Like, y'all, she served in kids for the past year. That's what, just because we put on a front doesn't mean that we know Jesus. And listen, I don't, please don't hear me saying this because I want you to think that my wife and I, we got it together. No, trust me, we don't. But I know that my wife and I's relationship is most intimate when we're most involved in the mission of God. And I think that if, uh, you yourself, even if you're not married, when you get involved in the mission of God and you want to see somebody in your life come to know Christ, your relationship with God will become much more intimate. And as a couple, your relationship together and with God will become more, more intimate when you start praying for people and for the mission of God to move forward in your life. I think as people in the church, we leave a lot on the table in our relationship with God by not wanting the person next to us to meet Jesus. We do. And listen, it's, I, I'm going at it from the point of not from what you're saving your friend from hell. That's shallow. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't think necessarily when somebody comes to Christ because they're getting a get out of hell free card, they truly understand the gospel and the love of Christ. I don't. I think it's shallow. But when our motive is that we now get to have a better relationship with God because we're involved in what he wants us to be involved in and they get to glorify the God of the universe that deserves all the glory in the whole world that the world could ever give him and they get to join us in that as believers, that is way more beautiful than a shallow, let me just get them out of hell and be nice to them. It's shallow. Christ's love is not shallow. That's why I hope that you never hear us. And the Bible's true. Listen, hell is real. The Bible's true. If we believe it, then we have to believe in it. But I hope that we never scare somebody into a relationship with God because I don't think it's really a relationship with God. I think it's an emotional run for a week or two that's going to run out. And I think if we're honest, and I want to use this, is I think that's how a lot of us say we got saved the first time. 
right, the first time. You can only be saved once, but that's what we, when we think of the time we got saved or the time we really turned to Christ was really an empty emotional feeling that we didn't want to go to hell for because that's what our culture preaches. And if that's what you believe, I'm telling you there's way more in a relationship with God than that. I talked last week about all the feelings we chase and chasing uh, preachers and churches and bands and we, we like need them to be a mediator between us and God. No, like you can be in a real relationship with God. You can pray and read your Bible and spend time with him every day and it is the most joyful thing you can ever do when you're in a relationship with God. It's the most miserable when you really don't know Christ. Very miserable. And so if you're here and that's what you equate your uh, experience to, I would ask you, do you truly know Christ? Have you truly placed faith in him? Have you been set free or have you said you were set free and you still live for people? Have you truly said, Christ, you're all I need, you're all I care about, but because I only care about you, that's why I'm gonna love other people. Not love other people so they like you. And so if you're here and you've never had that experience with the gospel, you never truly placed faith, you've never had a turn in your life where you said, I wanna love Christ more than anything else and I wanna surrender my life to him because he's worth it, not because I'm scared of hell. I think that's when we grasp the love of Christ. And it's the best thing we could ever have. And so if you're here and you wanna do that today, you can. Listen, salvation is not raising your hand. It's not getting a Bible. It's not getting baptized. Salvation is when you truly surrender your life, your heart, and put faith in what Christ did on the cross. It happens instantaneously, meaning in an instant, you get a new heart. You go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36 says. And so if you're in here and you've never done that, I wanna give you the opportunity and ask you to raise your hand. And listen, we're not asking you to raise your hand so that you can be impressive to other people. We're doing it so that our prayer team can come down and honestly so that our church can celebrate with you. And so if you're here and you've never done that and today you realize you want a real relationship with God, you want to put faith in what Christ did so that you can be set free to spread his glory and you're here and you want to do that, will you raise your hand? Got anybody in here? I'm going to give you a couple seconds. And I want to end before we sing a song and I was thinking there's kind of three categories I feel like I'm going to run through them very quickly but I want you to figure out what category you're in um, of where we come with the mission of God, where we come with wanting to make disciples. The first one is you really don't care about it. And I'll be honest, the reason you don't care about your friends actually coming to know Jesus is because you don't cherish the gospel. And you can't expect your friend to cherish Jesus until you cherish Jesus. And you're not gonna cherish Jesus until you have the Holy Spirit. And you don't get the Holy Spirit until you place faith in Christ. And so it really comes down to are you really saved? First. Secondly is are we just being lazy? I think there are a lot of Christians that myself included sometimes, where we just get lazy. We know what it means, but we just slap, get lazy, and we get caught up in the world for a time. And then the third one is, um, you're here, and you're embracing the mission of God, praise God, and you just want encouragement. 
And when you come to church, it fires you up and you get excited because you're laboring during the week and you get to see the fruit of the labor and you get to be excited when you corporately worship with other believers that are embraced and in the battle just like you are. And that's why corporate worship means something, y'all, is because we get to come and celebrate Jesus and what we're doing during the week. That's why I said last week, what if Sundays was a time where we could come and celebrate and be excited about um, praising Jesus and worshiping Jesus for what he did on the cross? That's why that's what our song sing about is so that we can worship him and be thankful for that and tune our hearts to that. And so that's my prayer is if you're here and you're number, category number three, then that's awesome. I, don't get out of the battle. Keep pushing forward. It's, it's the greatest thing. It's the, mo- the best investment you'll ever make on earth is the work you do for the mission of God. So keep pushing forward. So let's pray together and we'll sing a song and we'll be dismissed. God, uh, we love you. Lord, Uh, We thank you for what you did on the cross and thank you for what you're doing in this church. God, and I I pray for the people. God, I pray that you would give them courage. I pray that you would give them um, excitement. God, God, genuinely make their hearts excited. Lord, to push the mission of God forward. Lord, to, uh, to truly want their friends to come to know Christ because of the relationship they have with Christ. God, not to grow Connection Church, not to grow the number of disciples that that individual makes, but so that we can continue to give God more glory and the glory that he deserves. Lord, so uh, just encourage our hearts this morning. And God, help us cherish the gospel more so that we'll care about other people hearing it. Lord, so we love you so, so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name.